a very dramatic part of it, but it was, uh, it was still pretty good up to that point. Tom Hanks is a good Mr. Rogers. Welcome to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Roy. I'm your host, Katie, and today we are talking about Wayne Adam Ford. And uh, Katie, where did you do your research on this one? So for this one, I read Shadows of Evil by Carlton Smith. And what did you read, Rory? I read a book called Body Parts by Caitlin Rother. Shadowy Evil Body Parts. And uh, where did you do your research, Jake? I read a Murderpedia page that you sent me this morning. Nice. I am up on this. I, I know the whole the whole story of this two-part episode. Oh, yeah, this one's going to be two parts, so we should tell you that, guys, that it's a lot going into his life in the first one, and the second one we're going to do a little bit of a dive into the actions that made this man terrible. But don't worry, we'll tell you about Actually, some of the terribleness in this one, Pretty too. much he was a terrible person all the way around. Yeah, he I started, think all the way. He, he, was, he was conceived in terribleness, I think. And where are we going for this one, Katie? This one is in California for the most part. California love. Okay, so Some we're going to Vegas. We're going to California, and it's kind of like Northern California, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Orange County, Eureka. All Not right. part of the Four Corner States, but we're still going to get into it because it grazes through Nevada. And this that is not, not a Four Corner State either. Not a four corner but shit. this one actually is pretty brutal. Um, when we looked up this guy, we were just kind of looking for something with two books, and this guy popped up, and it's pretty brutal. All right, Katie, why don't we go ahead and start off? Wayne Adam Ford was born December 3, 1961, in Petaluma, California. Wayne's parents, Jean and Karen, had met while Jean was stationed in Germany. Karen was a beautiful girl looking for a way out. She was looking for a way out of Germany? Jean worked in intelligence and had grown up with a large family, while Karen, at the time they met, was just 16 and fairly troubled. Jean and Karen dated for a year and a half before they were married, when Karen was already two months pregnant with Wayne's older brother, Rod. Is that short for something? It's actually short for Rodney. Rodney. Mm-hmm. And I actually, name. I'm not 100% sure if Rodney is his first name or his middle name. I think it's his middle name. Yeah. So they, his whole family is weird and eventually go by their middle names. So Jean is a middle name. Karen's not at this time, but she does eventually go by her middle name. Okay. After their marriage, Karen claims Jean's sexual habits became forceful and he did whatever he wanted. Jean denies this, but nonetheless, Karen was pregnant again, but this time she felt as if it wasn't love that brought the child into the world, but rather rape on a night that Jean had forced sex on her. Jean moved his young wife close to where he was stationed in California. Karen didn't make friends with women easily and was fairly lonely in California, being 19 and stuck at home with two young kids. Karen yearned for freedom and ultimately grew a little cold toward her children. Yeah, so one story actually recalls uh, Wayne at two years old getting in trouble for smearing feces from his diaper uh, all over his bed. And Karen's like yelling and scrubbing him clean in the bathtub because she was just that upset with him. She didn't really want to have uh, more children or anything because she kind of like starved herself through her first pregnancy and was worried that she was going to be ugly and fat. And so, well, if your kid's smearing its shit all over the place, you might be a little cold towards it. Well, she was cold anyway. She was kind of just a cold person. Like that's what, mainly i got from the book that i read on his childhood was that his mom wasn't the most loving and caring individual towards her children this is relatively normal for a two-year-old yeah because at this time they're really not aware that it's not something they should be doing 
Yeah, like it's just another. Keep like, your two year olds at home, then people. Look what I found. Yeah. Two years old shit happens in any <laughs> way, shape, and form. Even if it's pulled out of a diaper. Yep. That same day, Wayne fell down some stairs and suffered a head injury that required him to get three stitches and be watched all night for a concussion. Gene, Wayne's father, was a disciplinarian for the boys, and often Karen would threaten them with the ominous, wait until your father gets home. That's what my mom always pulled on me. She sent me to my bedroom. Ran over a dog's butt one time. She sent me to the bedroom. She said, wait till your dad gets here. Did it work? No, I climbed out the window and went and hit on the roof. Did he find you? Yes. Weird. The dog uh, was walking again by then, though. Wayne okay. actually did the same thing, sort of, but uh, he, him and his brother had gotten into a fight. He went and ran and hid in a car, and when his dad found him, he just passed out. He just played dead like a possum? No, he literally was so stressed he passed out. If I, was, if I passed out on the roof, I'd have fallen off of it. Yeah, probably. There's a bit of a difference between the story Gene tells, the story Karen tells, and the stories that Rodney, Wayne's brother, remember. While Karen remembers Gene beating his boys with a belt while she tried to stop it, neither Rodney nor Gene could remember her intervening. That's cold. This is a common occurrence with the Ford family, misremembered and contradicting stories muddy the waters throughout the books. Despite these contradictions, we do know one thing was certain. Wayne was closer with his mother while his brother Rodney related more to their father. Wayne would follow his mother around and hang on to her skirt, basically all around just wanting to be by her side 24-7. Wayne and Rodney fought like brothers do and were often handing boxing gloves to sort out their problems. Which is kind of crazy because Rodney, for a long time, was a lot bigger and constantly got the best of Wayne. But a little later on in life when they started, you know, like actually doing this a little bit more, Wayne got really good and started beating the shit out of Rodney. Rodney was a social butterfly while Wayne was a quiet, reserved kid who preferred to be by himself or with his mother. Wayne was not an even-keeled child, though he had moments that mirrored his mother's emotional problems. He'd often have highs and lows, with his mother saying that, quote, everything went through him, he had sweetness about him, and he always had a little smile. Yeah, he was a, kind of a weird kid, I would say. Was when, he one of those kids that just smirked all the time? Yeah, yeah, she, he had really weird emotional problems where it was hard for him to kind of understand other people like when people would make fun of him or to, like girls would pull his hair or do all that sort of thing that young girls do he would be so confused by it that it would kind of stick with him due to his work in intelligence gene would move all over the world for sometimes a year at a time this was not what karen wanted and that came to a head with a suicide attempt in okinawa japan how did she try to kill herself she cut her wrists in her kitchen and uh, rodney walked in on it he was not very old, but he knew that it wasn't a mistake, and Rodney ended up calling the local naval base hospital or something like that, and she was taken there. She was sent back home to Eureka, California, though the story does vary a bit here, with Gene stating that it wasn't the attempt that sent her home, but that one of his men broke down and told Gene of his affair with Karen. She boned one of the dudes in his that he worked with, or? Yep. All right. One of his, uh, he was kind of a commanding officer at this time, and yeah, one of the people under him had supposedly had an affair with his wife, but that's just a rumor. Who knows? That's what Gene says. I mean, they going back and forth between these two is really hard to discern what the truth is because their timelines don't line up, and neither one of them are really good at remembering events as they happened. It seems to me like he was kind of ashamed of her emotional problems. And an affair is better than a suicide attempt. 
Yeah, I would say eyes. that he there. It was back in the time when you didn't talk openly about these things and stuff like that. So either one could be believed, and the story is still absolutely insane. Well, back in Eureka, Karen had another affair, this time with Gene's 15-year-old brother, Billy. 15 years old, huh? Gene has a huge family where he has like eight brothers and sisters, and they all kind of looked up to him because he was the oldest and thought he was like, okay, this is a man's man type of thing. And she was really lonely. Karen was absolutely lonely because he was still back in Okinawa. He just moved back to California where the only people that she knew was his family. So, so I mean, I just wanted to be like Gene. Yeah, basically. And, and she was wife. still fairly young at this point. Yeah, it's not like she was like 30. No, she's maybe, 18, 19. I think she's like 22 at this time. Okay. that's Well, that's pushing it a little bit. I mean, yeah, just a little. This prompted Gene, upon his return, to move the family 200 miles away. He bought the boys and Karen a house far away from Billy before he returned back to Okinawa. Throughout his life, Wayne gave differing stories about his childhood, sometimes saying he had issues with his mother, other times saying his problems lay with his father. Gene and Karen divorced in 1970 when Wayne was 10 years old, and Karen received custody of him and his brother Rod. Shortly after the divorce, Karen's friend Steve moved in with the boys, and six months later, Karen and Steve were wed. So Steve was not just Karen's friend. No, and he was actually a Vietnam vet mail carrier or something like that. and Carried the Vietnam people their mail? No, he was a mail carrier when he got back from the Vietnam War. He was a Vietnam vet, oh. slash he became a mail carrier. But there's a lot of speculation in the family that this she didn't just meet Steve after... The divorce, like he'd kind of been around a little bit because things sort of happened fairly quick after that. He'd probably been Uncle Steve for a while. Well, they had just met him when he showed up at the house. Like they didn't uh, know about Steve. Must have been really weird calling this new guy Uncle Steve. Gene would pick up one or both of the boys and take them to his home in Sonoma County, often fighting with Karen upon his arrival. Rodney says that Wayne was always happy going with his father on the weekend, learning construction or going flying. By the time the boys were teenagers, it is said that Gene favored Rodney because he was easier to communicate with, while Wayne was more like his mother and could not communicate emotion well and was confused by the ways of the opposite sex. It didn't seem like Karen was that confused by the ways of the opposite sex. No, but her own stigmas about stuff like that kind of got pushed on to young Wayne there. So she... When he was 12 years old, Karen kicked Wayne out of the house and Wayne went to live with his father. He was happy being the only child to occupy his father's attention, but that only lasted a short time as Karen kicked out his brother Rodney, and he came to live with Wayne and his father. So she kicked out both of her kids pretty much consecutively. Actually, uh, Rodney was a little bit later. Gene was gone for probably two to four months at this point, and like getting into the swing of his new life and happy to be, you know, have all the attention and you know not have to share a spotlight with anybody else. You but... mean Wayne? Yes, Wayne. Oh, yeah. So, no, he was, Wayne was very happy to, like, be by himself and be off from his family with his dad. And, like, a couple months later, Rodney gets kicked out of the house. And he, for about a week or two, bounces around from neighbor's house and finishes out the school year and stuff like that. And as soon as Gene heard that, he just was like, nope, went and picked him up. But why did she kick him out? She wanted to have her freedom. To have I mean, Uncle Cousin Billy come over? Yeah, she wanted her freedom. She wanted to be able to do what she wanted to do without having to worry about her kids, basically. And other things. I mean, they're both, you know, teenage boys, which are 
fairly hard to control, I would say. She's like the Casey Anthony of the 70s, except she didn't kill her kids. Yeah, she's nothing like Casey Anthony because she did not kill her kids, and that's the only reason she would be like Casey Anthony. Except she didn't want her kids anymore. She wanted to partay. Sure. Wayne became unruly, not able to do what his teachers or father asked. Gene was at his wit's end, so he contacted a family friend, Keith, for help. When Keith arrived at Gene's house, he found Wayne shuttered in his room, massaging his feet. When he asked what was wrong, Wayne pulled off his socks and revealed open sores. Wayne says that it had been months since his last shower or change of socks. Just disgusting. Yeah, and this actually continues a little later in life. Like, he's not a big showerer, this guy. <laughs> change your fucking socks. Yeah. I don't care if you don't, you cannot take a shower as long as you at least change your socks. He basically gave himself trench foot. It's hard yeah. to change them when they come off in a solid form. Or when they peel your skin off with them. Yeah. Yeah, gross. You gotta blow some air in there. Keith invited Wayne to live with him for the summer, and Wayne accepted. This did worlds of good for Wayne, and he was back to normal by the time he moved back in with Gene at the end of the summer. What is this Keith guy, like Dr. Phil? He just... No, he's just a family friend who didn't have kids and would take uh, Wayne to work with him, would hang out with him, would basically encourage him to do things that made him feel good and stuff like that. Just basically led him down an emotional path that where he got all the attention that he needed and hang out with a guy he thought was cool. Like Keith was, you know cool dude like he big had brothers. a dad for once yeah he had like uh, a real dad that would support him and provide him a role model yeah basically okay okay this lasted a short time because gene had met his next wife and was married in 1976 gene couldn't handle wayne's dislike for his new wife and her daughter and sent wayne back to live with his mother why, why didn't he like the new daughter and the mother he also didn't want to share any more of the spotlight that was already off of him Man, he's such a child. He's a bit of a narcissist. I mean, that's basically how his first wife and a few other people described him was he was very narcissistic. During this time, Wayne is still somewhat attending high school until he hit a pregnant teacher and threatened his mom in their garage. Karen decided to send Wayne to live with his Uncle Jimmy. Both parents and Uncle Jimmy had reached their wit's end when Wayne refused to behave and started getting in trouble with the police. Running away, truancy, and joyriding got Wayne a sentence of washing police cars for 12 weeks. Substantial sentence, I would say. His dad actually came in and pulled some strings and got him out of trouble a couple times. And he originally only had to wash cars for eight weeks. But then he did his joyriding thing and they got him to wash them for another four additional weeks. Did that he was take a cop car for a joyride? No, he just took i can't remember it was like some little red car that he had seen in a parking lot that he took for a joyride it'd be pretty funny if you were washing the cop cars and you just hopped in one and got another four weeks of washing cop cars right every saturday morning they just put out a little sign police car wash and it's just wayne out there honestly if he'd stolen a cop car they probably wouldn't trust him trusted him to wash cop cars anymore yeah probably not this all changed when after seeing the movie boys and company c wayne decides to join the marines Thinking this could be a good step for Wayne, Gene consents, and he talks to a recruiter. While he hadn't completed high school, he scored a 91% on his aptitude test, proof that he was rather intelligent. He was assigned to Marine Corps Air Station El Toro in Orange County, California, and given the job of defending the base from nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare. That seems like a pretty steep job for a young man. 18-year-old, yeah. Well, he... Technically, he went into boot camp at 17 and was already kind of ranking up by the time he got his job here. He ranked up quickly. Yeah. They really liked him. He was a model Marine for the most part until a few years later. Yeah. 
Wayne met his first wife, Kelly, in 1980 at the age of 19. Their relationship was relatively casual until one night in December. The two were driving down the highway back to her home when they came upon an accident with injuries. Wayne had Kelly stop and let him out at the scene while she went to locate a phone to call 911. Not long after she had driven away, a car hit Wayne from behind, sending him literally flying face first into a ditch a few hundred yards away. What? Was he... He was still standing in the middle of the road? Or? Yeah, it wasn't in the middle of the road. He was off of the side of the road sitting next to the dude that had been hit. And he, uh, his version of it is that he was just sitting there, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, whap, he was hit by another car and went flying off. The only hmm. weird thing is everyone said it was a red car, but like, there's no way he could have known what color car it was because it hit him from behind. He just loves red cars, and he just imagined it had to have been red. By the time Kelly found her way back to the scene, Wayne had been rushed to the hospital. He had to undergo surgery to remove the shattered pieces of teeth that had been pushed into his upper jaw when he landed, unconscious, on the ground. He suffered from a significant concussion, likely a full-blown TBI, and spent nine days in the hospital. Wayne would later claim that he was in a coma for nine days, but Kelly remembers him being awake and relatively aware of his surroundings the day after the collision. And what's weird is, like, they didn't find him right away. Yeah. They, they got to, yeah they got to the scene and didn't know that there was someone forty feet away in the bushes and so when they finally did find him they rushed him to the hospital they called his mom and his mom showed up for a little bit but ended up leaving his quote unquote girlfriend Kelly to watch him after like the first day and then she did everything afterwards oh yeah she was his caretaker yep so is it possible that he was just on a bunch of drugs for those nine days and didn't really realize that he was out of his coma so he thought he was comatose. No, I don't think that's how he's that just works. telling everyone he was in a he coma. Literally, no, he literally said hello to his mom when she showed up. Hi, mom. I'm still in a coma. Likely it was just to benefit his defense. It's difficult to say for sure, but Wayne likely suffered from frontal lobe disorder after the accident. This is a broad term used to describe the development of a multitude of mental health disorders after a major brain injury. The study of frontal lobe disorder is still in its infancy and likely will be for a very long time, as studying the brain is an incredibly complex task. What we do know is that those who suffer from head injuries and frontal lobe disorder go through what's sometimes referred to as personality coarsening, which means that their personality basically changes, and it's usually for the worse. So if you've ever seen, like, a hospital nurse show where they come out of a brain injury and they say all this rude terrible shit to the nurses and everyone's like they've never been like that before well before this he was actually the strong silent type kind of a quiet person and everything like that and when he came out kelly said he was actually happy and kind of talked to people now yeah basically everything about him changed after this yes so some of the symptoms of frontal lobe disorder can Include lack of motivation, mood swings, depression, difficulty understanding and relating to emotions of others, difficulty controlling emotions such as anger, difficulty sleeping or waking, and newfound obsessions, which sometimes are sexual in nature. That is uh, a lot of things to look out for. Yeah, basically, if you have a really bad TBI, you're probably not going to be the same person afterwards. And it seems like you're going to have problems just getting through everyday life, pretty much, if you can't sleep. Oh, but then you finally do sleep. You can't wake up. Oh, you finally wake up. Now you're depressed. Well, these are all just could be symptoms. It doesn't mean they have to have them all. Yeah, it's all case by case because yeah. the brain is so complex. You can have the same exact injury as someone and it's going to do totally different things to you than it is to them. So awesome. there's really no way to classify any of this. It's just a really general term of 
what might happen to you if you get a TBI. But this dude actually basically exhibited all of these symptoms. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. He's just checking off the boxes as he goes, it seems. Yeah. After taking care of Wayne for so long following his accident, he and Kelly were married on May 2nd, 1981. About a week after they said I do, Kelly reports that she noticed a significant personality change in Wayne. He suddenly became demanding and controlling and sometimes violent. While on a six-week-long trip for work, Kelly learned that she was pregnant. Wayne forced her to go to the clinic and get an abortion, even though she wanted to keep the child. Once he returned from his trip, he began demanding sex constantly and would verbally abuse her if she tried to say no. He formed a fascination with breasts, an obsession that would continue the rest of his life. His next demand was that she be nude 24-7 while they were at home, and that she dress in extremely provocative outfits when they were out in public so he could show her off. When she went to work, she was made to dress in ill-fitting clothing so no one could see her body. While working full-time and trying to cater to his constant need for sex, Wayne also demanded that Kelly cook every meal, clean the house, do the laundry, and shop for all the groceries. So he just kind of wanted a little, quote-unquote, like, American dream where, you know, she does everything for him and he just basically goes to work and comes home and then gets boned out. Basically, but he did it in a more upsetting and violent way. Right, like, he that was his idea and then he decided to impose it pretty much however he had to. Yeah, whatever I mean, he had to do. He was constantly forcing her to have sex at this point because back then, even even uh, his Kelly admits it in the book that back then no one considered it rape if he was your husband, but he was doing to that to her constantly. In 1982, Wayne took another trip with some of his Marine friends. Kelly received a phone call a couple of days after from one of Wayne's friends saying that if she sees Wayne, to tell him to come back. According to Wayne, who called Kelly later that night, they had met some girls skating and one of his buddies invited them to hang out. They had oral sex with the girls, who turned out to only be 15. While one of Wayne's friends and Wayne took the girls home, they encountered a broken-down truck on the side of the road and stopped to help. Bad luck turns out that it was actually one of the girls' boyfriends. The girl jumped out of the car, screaming that she had been raped. Police showed up at the cabin where they were staying, and Wayne ran out the back door and across the woods. He was eventually arrested, and his arraignment was postponed for nearly eight months, but eventually led to him not being charged, and the only remnant left from the court records state, victim unavailable, declined to prosecute. So basically, he got away with it. Yeah, he was on edge for eight months, and Kelly describes this time as probably the most stressful in Wayne's existence up until this point, because he didn't know what was going to happen, he didn't know if he was going to lose his job, he didn't know. If he had really done anything wrong in his mind, she saw it and said he doesn't think he did anything wrong. He called her and confessed and told her exactly what had happened literally that night. Don't you, if you call and confess to someone, it's because you know you did something wrong? Well, he was trying to explain to her because he called her from a payphone. He was like, oh, hey, what's up? And she was like, what's going on? Your friends called and said, you need to come back. Where are you and what happened? And so that was the story he told just so nonchalantly. like. Oh, yeah, and then I ran away from the police after I raped this girl. Kelly finally had enough and asked Wayne for a divorce in 1983. Oh, that's what it took for her to finally leave. No, okay, the story that, okay, so they were actually kind of halfway between, like, okay, we're going to separate, and they were dividing all their stuff up, and she said she wanted to keep her motorcycle that he had bought for her because they had matching motorcycles, and he freaked out and said, why would you want to do that? And she's like, well, I have friends that ride. And so he asked her to call her friend who rides a motorcycle and have him talk to him. She ends up calling Bob 
and Bob's talking on the phone with him and says, okay, well, why don't we meet for some coffee? And he's like, oh, well, okay, we can. He was a really cool coffee. guy. Yeah. Bob, Bob is awesome. Bob is a good dude. He was going, Bob was also going through a divorce. So they were kind of leaning on each other at the time because he thought she was in an abusive relationship. And so Bob agrees to go get coffee with him. But right before this, like right before they got about to go out, Wayne rapes her, like full on throws her on the bed, chokes her out and rapes her. And then expects her to just get up and go to the coffee shop like nothing had happened. And then while at the coffee shop, Wayne's all talking about like, hey, man, you got any girls you can hook me up with since I'm single now? And he wanted a girl. He specifically said, do you know any girls with big breasts? Yeah. And this left Bob just absolutely fucking flabbergasted. He was just like, what the fuck? Tried to convince Kelly not to go home with him that night, but she ended up going home with him anyway. And she originally she took his... Bob gave her his car, and mm-hmm. she drove, and they kind of cooled off, because Bob thought that he and Wayne were going to fight. He was like, Wayne's going to fight me. Like, whatever, we'll just get this over with. Yeah. And then they, like, shook hands, and Bob Wayne was like, see you, dude. Nice hanging out. Yeah, so Wayne's psychotic. Like, he's absolutely insane. Eventually, they do end up getting divorced and everything like that. Oh, I thought you were going to say eventually him and she, Bob fight. No, she moves in with Bob. She's just like, I can't handle this. I need somewhere to go. And Bob was the guy that was like, yeah. I'll be there. Come on over, and, baby. Yeah. And so they, uh, yeah, go ahead, Kitty. All right. Was that, was his name actually Bob? Yeah. I thought that was a stupid alias. No, his name is actually Bob. I, I can't remember his last name. That his name is Bob. only actual name they used in my book. Then. Yeah, no, Bob's a good dude. That's, that's the thing that happens with the women that he marries is that they eventually find someone who is an, a real good dude. And yeah, it's like not just, soulmate. yeah, it's not just in comparison because- <laughs> Wayne's shitty, but it's they're actually good people. Yeah. Oh, he's like that Dan Cook movie. Yeah. Where the Dan Cook bangs the girl and then she finds her husband next. Yeah. What's that one called? Dan Cook's Life Story? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's... No, that's called Stealing Jokes. After moving out, Wayne began to incessantly stalk Kelly, showing up at her work and home. If he went to her house and she wasn't there, he would write notes on her windows so she'd know he'd been by. Uh, hey, you left the iron on. No, he would actually... He would be... He would... Be like, I saw you with Bob at the stoplight on this street at this time yesterday. Or I I saw you eating lunch at this diner and shit like that. He was full on stalking her. When she moved out of town, Wayne became so obsessed with trying to find her that he went AWOL from the Marines and was actually charged upon his return. How did that work out for him? Actually turned out okay for him. He lost money. I think he lost pay for it and that was about it. Yeah. like, Well, that makes sense. You weren't there to do your job. On April 8, 1983, Wayne took himself to the base's psychiatric office complaining of depression and suicidal thoughts. The doctor there sent him to a nearby hospital psych ward for treatment, where he was diagnosed with depression and an unspecified personality disorder. He was quote-unquote treated and sent on his way and seemed to improve for a little over a year until he returned to the base psychiatrist in May 1984, again complaining of depression. Did they give him anything for his depression? This time they did, but he... Did shouldn't bother to take him. Ah, yeah, you gotta take the meds. He met again with a psychiatrist and was cleared for service, allowing him to be given orders to go to Okinawa, Japan. He shipped out in September, and not long after arriving, got in a small argument with a commanding officer over a failed unit inspection. Wayne was found in his barracks on the floor, wrapped in the fetal position in complete psychosis. He was taken to the hospital, where he became extremely violent and had to be strapped to a bed to keep him from hurting anyone. He was given probably a shit ton of Haldol, a strong sedative, and was found to be suffering from borderline personality disorder. 
After three and a half weeks in the naval hospital, Wayne was sent back to California. He called his Uncle Jimmy and told him he'd messed up bad and was coming home, but not to worry because he had money and was planning on going to school to become an attorney. Uncle Jimmy said that shouldn't be a problem and he would have a place to stay with him. Wayne was flown back to Letterman Army Hospital in San Francisco on October 21st, but his medical records had been lost in transit. Before being discharged, Wayne received a fairly harsh diagnosis. One, borderline personality disorder severe as manifested by intense and inappropriate anger and lack of self-control, marked shift in mood from normal to depression, irritability, and anxiety. Depression when alone, and chronic feeling of emptiness and boredom. Two, atypical psychosis manifested by frequent psychotic breaks, unmarked by hallucinations or affixed delusional system, not caused by mind-altering drugs. Rule out schizophrenia. Rule out paranoid disorder. So they're saying that he, all like the the last part there is basically saying that all everything he has is not brought on by drugs. Yeah, yeah, and like he had been ruled out for being schizophrenic and rule ruled out for having a paranoid disorder. So what they're saying is that he has borderline personality disorder. Wayne was transferred to another psychiatric hospital before he was discharged. There, he was labeled as a poor historian for his own life, and in his discharge papers, the last line read, quote, The patient remains at risk of another decompensation and could become a danger to himself, others, and government property. What does it mean when he was labeled as a poor historian for his own life? He basically just lied about his upbringing, and the doctors didn't believe it because he couldn't actually put dates and times together for things. So they're saying you can't get his history from him yeah and i mean he basically he told stories about how he was in hell's angel and how he uh had run with a hard crew he was living by himself at 14 and all sorts of other shit he got kicked out of the house at 12 but he wasn't living on his own right no he was living with his father wayne you liar basically on january 31st 1985 wayne was officially discharged from the marines for the convenience of the government, character, and behavior disorders. I think mainly for just that first one. Like, yeah, they the didn't care as much government. about the rest. Yeah, because otherwise they would have just kept him in a psychiatric yeah. hospital. Like, well, we'll help you get better, but instead it's like, no, nah, nah. see you later. It was an honorable discharge, though, at least. You yeah. Can't, you can't dishonorably discharge someone for a mental condition, I don't think, right? I mean, it's the Army. They can pretty much do what they want. It's the Marines. The few. The proud. The dysfunctional. In 1986, Wayne, now going by his middle name Adam, just like his mom, dad, and brother... Wait, wait, wait. They all went by Adam, too? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly, yeah. Landed a job as a truck driver. It was here he met a young, Kuwaiti girl by the name of Wadad. He began a six-year off-and-on relationship. It wasn't that long after they met that Wadad thought she was in love with Wayne and wanted to do whatever it took to make him happy, which included allowing him to push a safety pin into her nipples when they were having sex. Yeah, he got a really weird idea that this would turn him on, and turns out it did. But later on, he told the story that when he had to inject his young girlfriend with diabetic needles, it turned him on, so they tried this. But really, it was just him. This is not that weird of a fetish. Which just... direction do you push the needles? Like, like straight would... into the titty or no, sideways across? He, would go, he wouldn't go all the way through, but he would go it in so it was far enough until it hurt her, and then he'd pull it out again and do it again. But that's not a no. weird fetish. I say it's a strange fetish, but what do I know? It's, I mean, in the BDSM world, it's relatively normal. Well, yeah, in the BDSM world, so is spanking someone until they bleed. And I wouldn't say that that's a, hooks from their skin. I wouldn't even say that that's, you know, quote unquote, 
the normal, but it's whatever. I'm not gonna kink shame someone, but this one's a it's little a fetish. Yeah, this one's a little dark though. Gets it's a masochistic fetish or sadistic fetish. That's why it's BDSM. Okay. He also had her bite his nipple as hard as she could without biting through, and he would do the same to her. She got no gratification from it, but knew that Wayne liked it, so she allowed it to continue. How do you know if you're at that point where you're about to get through it? Like, you got to stop just before you bite all the way through the nipple. You can feel your teeth starting to sink in. Life was unremarkable for Wayne until January 15th, 1986, when he attacked a woman and either just robbed her or raped, robbed, and beat her, depending on where you get the story. I did not get anything about this story. I didn't either besides that. Like, it literally was not in my book at all. According to Wadad, he attacked another woman in 1989 when he approached a woman on the street, threw her purse onto a roof, bit her breast, and ran away. Police called him the tit-bit bandit. She said he came home crying hysterically over the incident, not knowing what came over him. Shortly after this time, Wadad decided that they needed to end it and that the relationship was going nowhere. They decided to break up slowly. This took almost a year, and when Wayne announced that he had found a new place to live, excited for her upcoming freedom, Wadad asked where he was moving, the property adjacent to his one-time employer, B&M Towing. Wadad was horrified, knowing now that no matter what, she could never end it with him. She stayed at the house for a little over a month, with Wayne coming and going as he pleased. She left to a studio apartment in San Clemente without most of her stuff, and sadly without her dog. Why'd she leave her dog? She moved into a studio apartment in the city and her dog wanted to have she wanted her dog to have a backyard and everything like that so she leave it with wayne yeah and actually wayne wasn't terrible with the dog at the time wayne was still living at the property right next to b&m towing company who owned a large yard and of course had a dog to protect the grounds in march of 1993 wayne got on the phone with his brother rodney stating that he had been arrested on suspicion of firing a weapon and animal cruelty the story goes that two Dobermans in the neighbor's yard were trying to dig under the fence and attack Wadad's dog, a mellow Samoyed. Wayne had warned the owner of the tow company what would happen if his dogs ever made it through the fence. Eventually, one of the Dobermans did make it through the fence, and after trying and failing to separate the dogs, Wayne went inside, grabbed his shotgun, and killed the Doberman in his yard. Ultimately, Wayne was sentenced to five days in jail for animal cruelty, but it's unclear if he actually served any of that time. What happened to the uh, Sam- Samoyed? Still had him. Oh, he didn't get killed by the Dobermans? No. Um, apparently, it was just a fight. Like, the dogs were fighting in the backyard. He went and tried to break it up, and when he couldn't, that's when he went and got the shotgun. But his account, we never know if it's true or not. But for this, it does sound kind of true, because he did warn the guy at B&M towing and called the police saying that his dogs were crazy and that he refused to fix the fence, so... Just shoot the gun into the air. Yeah, that usually most of the time works, but he, Loud noise. he'd already told the tow owner, like, if those dogs get in my yard, I'm going to kill them. What's so. worse is that he shot the dog, and the dog didn't immediately die. It bled to death. Yeah. Fuck this guy. Yeah, fuck this guy. Wayne's next relationship moved quickly, with him and Elizabeth meeting in early 1994, moving in together in August, and marrying in October. Elizabeth had gotten pregnant before the wedding, this time Wayne left the decision up to her on whether or not to keep the baby, but being 21 and unwed, Elizabeth decided to terminate the pregnancy. On October 15, 1994, Elizabeth and Wayne were married. At the wedding, Rodney stood up and made his best man speech, saying, quote, You shouldn't marry her. She's too young. She's too volatile. 
You've already had problems, and I don't see it getting any better. What was he referring to? Like, uh, he, they already had problems where they had broken up and gotten back together, and he was living with his friend Dave for a little bit, and then moved back in with her, and then broke up again. And just, it was all around not a good situation. All within, like, eight months, ten months? Yeah. That's craziness. Seems like Rodney knew what he was talking about. Yeah, I mean, he's the older brother. He pretty much had his shit together at this point in time. Bad time to make that speech, though. I know. It was, like, in front of her whole family and everything, too. But he had actually really thought really highly of Wadad and thought that she was a really good influence on Wayne. And he described her as, like, the best person he'd ever met, so... He treated her similarly to his first wife, demanding that she cook every meal and keep the house spotless. And just like in his previous marriage, Wayne wanted to expand their sex life. At one point, he asked her to have sex with other men while he sat in the room and watched. This made Elizabeth uncomfortable, but she agreed only after getting berated and with the thought that to make her life easier and attempt to make Wayne happy. One night, she got drunk enough to not feel anything and agreed to do it, so they picked a marine up at a bus stop and headed back to the barracks. The day after, Wayne was so happy and proud that Elizabeth almost felt it worth it, so they tried two more times, but each time, Wayne was only happy for about a week before he became morose and depressed again. What could cause someone to be happy that they watched their wife get railed by other dudes? Weird fetish again. It's Yeah. He likes to, I don't know go to the extreme side of sex and i guess this somehow gets him off i don't know it's really hard to say when someone with fetishes it doesn't doesn't make sense as to how this develops it's just weird because he was you know he started out as a jealous narcissist i mean he's still a narcissist he's probably still jealous but it's like the complete opposite i think this one has more to do with him controlling her and making her do things against her will uh... yeah he was never really jealous either with Kelly, he made her dress like that, and then like when people were like, "Oh, dude, your wife's so hot, I would totally fuck her." He'd be like, "Yeah, dude, I know." It was more of like, "Look what I have, and look what you don't get to have." Yeah. Not like, "Oh, don't look at my wife." That's why I made her not wear any clothes when she went out, basically. Yeah, and she worked with four hundred dudes. Do you think the dudes really went up to him and was like, "Dude, I'd fuck your wife." He, I he, mean, he wanted them to say that, so he, probably. Yeah, <laughs> even if they didn't, he would imagine them when he they looked at her saying that. Like, how tall he, was this fellow? He's a big guy. He was a big guy. Yeah, he's like six foot. Oh, six he just foot. Sounds like he's got like buff. A... He worked out all the time and shit. He was a marine, so he sounds like one of those motorcycle cops that's like five three and gives you a ticket for not wearing your seatbelt properly. Nah, he was not that bad. He reminds me of Alistair Crowley. Yeah, a little bit. She put an abrupt stop to the cuckolding when she learned that she was pregnant with a little boy in March of 1995. Even though she was pregnant, it didn't stop Wayne's demanding her to do her wifely duties. He raped her while she was in the throes of morning sickness. He took a belt and wrapped it around her throat and forced her to perform oral sex on him. He beat her with a belt and forced himself on top of her. Elizabeth ran out of their apartment screaming and grabbed a towel from the laundry room to cover up. She was screaming and Wayne told her to get back in the house, which she did only after seeing a young boy on his porch and not wanting to cause a scene. She went in and showered before allowing Wayne to have sex with her as she lay there still, trying to mentally escape. She cried as Wayne got ready to drive up and see his brother at a car show that she was expected to join as if nothing had happened. So he made her go with him right after that? Just Yeah, it's kind of one part of his M.O. is that he does this terrible thing and then expects everything to be normal and for them to continue on with whatever they were doing. 
On December 10, 1995, their son, who they named Max, was born. After his birth, they began to constantly fight and break up, but Wayne always managed to sweet-talk her into coming back to him. They moved to Las Vegas, Nevada in February 1996 after Elizabeth's dad offered them decent-paying jobs to support their new baby. What did Elizabeth's dad do? He was a cop. Yeah. Oh. So he was giving them cop jobs? No, he just knew a lot of people, so he brought them down to Vegas. They moved into an apartment that he rented for them and all sorts of shit. So he just had his connections and he was spreading the love. A little bit. Once they had a place of their own, Wayne continued to expand his sex life with Elizabeth. Still, he wasn't happy and often slipped into depression and would frequently make Elizabeth drink full bottles of vodka and have sex with her as she threw up. As she threw up? Yeah. He tried to stab her nipples with pens, but Elizabeth was done. In June of 1996, she took the baby and moved into her mother's apartment. She gave Wayne two weeks to be a better person, and on July 4th, 1996, Wayne and Elizabeth attended a party at the Stratosphere. There, she could see that he hadn't changed, and two days later, she left him for good. Wayne moved back to California, where some claim he attempted suicide. Well, actually, he had his <laughs> he had his brother and his dad come and pick him up, because he had a busted-ass Jeep that wouldn't make it. To, to, to move to California? Yeah, he called them and was like, I need you guys to come pick me up, this marriage isn't working. Back in California, Wayne worked menial jobs until he decided to get his CDL and become a long-haul truck driver. Although he claimed Elizabeth would not let him see his son, it was actually Wayne who made no effort to see the child. Elizabeth brought Max to California to see his father, and on October 14, 1997, they met with some family friends and spent the day at a pumpkin patch. Wayne arrived in an extremely good mood, but towards the end of the meeting, a cloud seemed to come over him. Elizabeth would later say he became deeply depressed and was visibly sulking. So it was after they had a good time at the pumpkin patch and whatnot, and then... What, you think maybe he was getting depressed that, his, that he wasn't going to be seeing his kid much longer? Or Well, he has these weird little fits of happiness and depression. Like at the, borderline. Yeah. So, like, at this point, when he's spending time with his kid and his ex-wife, he realizes this is the life that he could have had and he was enjoying himself while doing it. And then but then he realized. Yeah, it was only a six-hour visit and she went back to Vegas. On October 26, 1997, a few friends were kayaking on Freshwater Slough when they spotted a white object on the north bank of the canal. One of the friends paddled toward it, at first thinking he had discovered an armless, legless, and headless mannequin. The yellow ends he had mistaken as stuffing were actually fatty tissue from cuts that had removed the limbs from the body. Both of the victim's breasts had also been removed. Everyone on the case referred to the Jane Doe as Torso Girl. I don't know about that. Right? There's got to be a better name than Torso Girl. Like, Jane Doe, even, is probably Oh, that's... The, she was Jane 19742 Doe. And Slash since, Torso Girl. Yeah, since no one had really seen this before, they called it, called it the Torso Girl case because she was unknown, and it was impossible to find anything. Ah, okay. On October 29th, the autopsy revealed 27 sab wounds to the back and sides of the woman, with all but one occurring before death. The limbs were removed with different methods. Some had been sawed in half, some had been partially smashed and sawed off, sawed off, as if someone had grown frustrated with the effort and time it took to cut through them. The head was removed just below the larynx, and the cuts that removed her breasts went all the way down to her ribcage. The body had been cut down the center, and her vagina had been removed. Because the body had been in the water for about a week, little to no evidence could be found. 
The police searched the area where the torso was found with cadaver dogs, but none of the limbs were ever found. Is that where we're going to end it this week, Katie? Yeah, I think that's a good brutal note to end it on. Yeah, so this week we just kind of covered some of the backstory, and next week we're going to go over a little more of his murders, the case, and what happened to him afterwards. There's going to be a content warning next week, so yeah, it gets listen at your own discretion. It gets really bad. I mean, because we only have what happened to the people that escaped, really, um, besides what he said had happened, but their stories are brutal. I mean, really, really fucked up. So, look forward to that, but... Yeah, join us next week to find out more about Torso Girl and the other killings. It's gonna be fun. This this one was just basically to set up the next episode, and there's a lot of background information, so it ran a little bit longer than we thought it was going to. But, uh, yeah, next week's when we get to the, the real fucked up shit. Yeah, this was all just the weird part yeah this is all just to tell you how shitty wayne is before we really tell you what the shitty stuff that wayne did yeah we kind of wanted to get you into the headspace of where wayne was at what his background was and how he was kind of a shitty person since since his first wife like he after his head injury yeah after his head injury i'm not gonna blame everything on the head injury no that's what my book did my book was like every time he said something really terrible he was like but but don't forget, he but had the a TBI, brain injury. Yeah. But the TBI, might, but he might have been crazy. And I'm like, that doesn't, I literally don't care. That excuses nothing. A TBI isn't like Tourette's, right? It's not like you just lose all control of what you say or do, right? No. You can just I mean, it, say something and then say, oh, but I've got. It, it can, though. I mean, it's hard to say with TBI. But in this instance, I would say his TBI probably did lead a little bit to his borderline personality disorder. But even before his head injury, he was a little messed up in the head. He uses the head injury, though. We're going to see that when he is charged and confesses, he's basically like, I didn't want to do any of this. Something came over me. It's not my fault. My brain got jumbled. Which is total bullshit. I mean, absolute bullshit. Yeah, we'll talk about it more next week. Yeah, we'll talk about it more next week. All right, guys. Well... Thank you much for listening. We appreciate it. And as always, you can. Uh... So, if you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F O U R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast, on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast, and on Twitter at fourcornerscrime. And give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. And check out our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com. Head over there for a full episode list uh, to send us any ideas for episodes you guys want to hear or just to get your free sticker from our merch store by entering Bingo Bango at checkout. Getting it shipped out to you 100% for free. So hope you guys have a good week. Hope you enjoy this and join us next week to hear more about Wayne Ford and how much he loves waterways. You're going to be sad. Yeah, you're going to get real sad. Am I going to cry? I hope not. I mean, you know I, I felt, tend to cry. It's usually just kids, though. Yeah, but I felt pretty fucking awkward reading. Like, I, I'm not huge on that, and usually I can distance myself when I read about this stuff, but holy shit, it's brutal. Cool. Yeah. Well, okay. have a good week, guys. See ya. Adios, motherfuckers! On January 31st, 1985. That's when I was born. 1985. <laughs>